maybe I should be asking for more money. Like I had that feeling that everybody gets. There's the feeling that everybody listening will know the feeling where they make you the offer and you accept the offer and you go start the job and then you go, what if I could have gotten more? You know, and then it's too late. Hey, Feasters. I'm super pumped to have Josh Duty, author of Fearless Salary Negotiation, founder of the website by the same name, and a very successful salary negotiation coach to kick off season four. In this episode, we dive deep into why niching down is so important, what to look for when doing it, how to actually go ahead and start to test the waters of your specialization, and then how to grow and market it. Look, I've chatted with Josh so many times about how he's built his business to live the kind of life he wants. And I'll be honest, I am a bit of a fanboy here. See, Josh solves problems. Yes, for his clients who are looking to get a higher salary, but also through creating a better environment for the negotiation to happen in, where the recruiter understands specifically what is important to Josh's client and then makes it easier for the negotiation to actually happen. Josh really gets into understanding his client and all aspects of how his client can be successful. He puts a ton of very specific and strategic content out there. And you have to hear how he comes up with this content ideas in the first place. It's remarkably simple and yet so few do it well. Listen closely to the story he shares about the index card that he keeps in arm's reach. It's the recipe for niching down his business. Throughout this podcast, you'll notice how Josh pays close attention to everything his clients do and then reacts to it for his business. It's a key component that a lot of people miss when niching down. Anyway, let's just dive into it, shall we? This episode is brought to you by Feast, the premium online coaching and community designed for web developers, designers, marketers, and freelancers of all type wanting to specialize their business and build recurring revenue that's profitable and sustainable. Today's market is ever-changing, and yesterday's advice won't cut it. Feast members get access to the roadmap and training library, which includes everything you need to niche down, build recurring revenue, and become that go-to respected person for your services. That, together with monthly roundup calls, exclusive workshops, expert chit-chats, and our Slack community, you'll have everything you need to live the life of your own design. If you're serious about not competing on price and having clients that respect you and your expertise, then join Feast. Head over to feastcourse.com today. Feasters and welcome. Today's featured guest is Josh Duty. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. Josh is a salary negotiation coach for developers, and he's developed strategies that have earned his clients millions of dollars in negotiation job offers with some of the biggest brands out there, Google, Microsoft, Apple, and so on. Josh, why don't you just give a little bit more of a meaty story of who you are and why you do what you do? 
Sure. Yeah, I think your intro was actually, I mean, pretty much spot on. It's kind of wild to hear you say the number millions. And my reaction to that, to be honest with you, is like, come on. And then I thought about it and I was like, no, that's, that's accurate. But I got started in salary negotiation. I'll give you kind of like the medium version of my, my origin story. But I came up as I studied computer and electrical engineering. So that's like a pretty important piece of the puzzle. So I have an engineering background and I worked as an engineer for a little while in a department of defense firm as an electrical engineer and was just kind of bored. So I I changed careers pretty early on. I went to work as a project manager and consultant for a software company. Went from like a giant Department of Defense contractor to a 30-person software startup, basically, in a completely different role. And it just so happened through, I guess, serendipity, really, that that company, the software that they made was what's now known as talent development or talent management software or performance management, which is performance reviews and setting goals and career planning, succession planning for when people leave, and also compensation planning. And so part of my job was to manage projects that were software implementations, and part of my job as as the implementer was to do business analysis and consult with the companies that were going to use the software on how they implemented the software. And specifically, I would consult with them often on how they would compensate people and specifically how they would model that compensation in the software that we sold them. And so I got to see kind of on the other side, you know, behind the curtain, like how companies compensated people and eventually was consulting with them and recommending how they do that. And so I came to understand pretty clearly how it is that they pay people at companies for the most part. And then uh, I you know, changed jobs a couple of times and kind of began negotiating on my own. I'd already made some kind of unorthodox career decisions and eventually realized maybe I should be asking for more money. Like I had that feeling that everybody gets. There's the feeling that everybody listening yep. will know the feeling where they make you the offer and you accept the offer and you go start the job and then you go, what if I could have gotten more? You know, and then it's too late. Right, so right. I had that feeling a couple of times and then eventually thought, why don't I... Like, you know, I read some articles, Patrick McKenzie's article on salary negotiation is still, I think, one of the best pieces of um, material there is on how to negotiate salaries, especially in tech. I read that and I thought, I'm going to give this a shot. And so sure enough, like I significantly increased my salary. And then I did it again a couple years later. And I had always been kind of fielding questions from friends and family about career stuff. And then they started to be aware that I was negotiating my salary. And so they would ask me for a little bit of help on that. So I would help them a little bit. And over time, I became kind of experienced with it and understood it better. And then I had kind of a desire to write a book. So I wrote a book that was initially going to be kind of a broader career management guide because of all the things that I talked about. And then through the really wise counsel of a good friend of mine, Josh Kaufman, I narrowed down the focus of the book to salary negotiation because it would be more palatable, more interesting, more valuable, and uh, easier to market. And so that book is called Fearless Salary Negotiation. I published the book and then courses and then eventually started having folks say, hey, can you help me with this? And I remember very clearly the first client who paid me, she asked me what my rate was. And I said, well, you're a freelancer. Whatever your rate is, that's my rate. Because nobody had paid me. And I thought that would be fair. And she wouldn't balk at it. And she didn't. And we finished working <laughs> together. She made a bunch more money. She was a freelance copywriter. And she went to work full time for a firm. And I said, why did you hire me? Like, I, I wrote a book on this. And the process I used was a lot like the process in my book. Why didn't you just read the book? And she said, I'll never forget this. She said, I just wanted you to do it for me. And I said, oh, mm -hmm. interesting. And so that kind of then nudged me down the road of coaching people. And so somebody else came to me like a month later and I you know, basically doubled my rate, not quite. And she said, fine, <laughs> coach her. And then um, as I continued to get clients and meet people, 
I wasn't really niche down at all. I was just kind of taking whoever would ask me. And my first client was a copywriter. My second client was in healthcare. She was like a healthcare administrator. Mm -hmm. But then I started to get a trickle of software developers. And I think it was just because of the way that I write and the kind of stuff that I write when they would Google me or, or talk about me. I think that the way I present things appeals to developers and engineers and people who think like I do. And so they would start finding me and I just kept charging more and more. And over time, what I realized was not only could I charge software developers more because there's more value to be had there by them for my expertise, I could get a lot of leverage on my tactics and my strategy by using them with software developers who were going to the big companies that you mentioned. And so I slowly began to work with more and more um, software developers, realized that was where my expertise provided maybe the most value possible. And so then I decided with the help of Philip Morgan, a friend of ours, that I should work on my positioning and specialize and say, I'm going to be a software developer salary negotiation coach. And then I pivoted my business and started focusing exclusively on that, not exclusively, but primarily on that. And then also selling books on the side. Whereas before that, I'd been trying to sell books and products and also coaching on the side. And so it was a big transition about 15 months ago now, like early to mid 2017. And then I said, okay, I am a software developer salary negotiation coach. That's what I do. And started building my business there and continuing to find clients who are more and more senior as software developers. And so therefore they're making more money. And that's how we get to the millions of dollars uh, number that you mentioned earlier is, you know, working with a very specific niche of software developers who are going, who are experienced and are going to accept jobs eventually at big tech firms pretty much. So that's my story. It's a long, a long story, but that's how I got from there to here. Yeah, no, no, there's definitely a lot there. For one, I have to, I have to ask because the other side of things, right? I mean, you mentioned Google, mm -hmm. uh, that people look online for these things. Do the big companies know or are they aware of you? I mean, you have the book out, you have, you know, you've been on TV, you've been a speaker at events. I mean, do, do the bigger companies like say, hey, could you please, <laughs> please slow down a little? <laughs> Not yet. I think it's funny because I keep kind of expecting that to happen. Then I realize that like, I don't know how many clients I've worked with. I don't have the stats in front of me, but let's say just to use a round number, let's say it's 50 that I've coached, you know, beginning to end. I've worked with 50 people over the past, you know, let's say 18 months since I really started focusing on coaching. I mean, Google hired 50 people probably before lunch today. Right. Right. And right. so the number of people and, and I've worked with, you know, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, all of them. So you take those 15, you say, well, maybe it's five at Google and it's five at Microsoft and five at Apple. And now we're talking about for them to actually recognize that there's some kind of pattern or something going on would be really unusual. <laughs> yeah. There was one situation where I was coaching. I just finished coaching a client who went to work. I'm trying to be careful here. And you'll hear why in a minute. He was going to work for one of the big five tech firms is what we'll say in a very, very narrow, 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 narrow software development field where he had done research and had a PhD. And so this field happened to be directly aligned with what the firm does. And so um, he was in really high demand and we negotiated significantly more money for him, seven figures more equity. Then like two weeks later, another client came and said, hey, I'd like to work with you. And that client was going to the same firm. <laughs> in the same specialty, oh, wow. but he was on the hardware side. And so I actually went to my previous client. I said, hey, listen, I got a list of contacts that my new client has 
at this firm that you just went to, if I just tell you the names of the contacts, can you tell me if you know any of them or if you negotiated with them? Because I need to know because <laughs> they're going to recognize my tactics. And so sure enough, this is how small the world was. So I listed the names and he said, no, I didn't negotiate with any of those people, but he knew three of the people on the list personally. So that's how kind of small this world is. He's like, yeah, I know that. I know that guy. I went to coffee with him a couple weeks ago, but not professionally. We just hung out, you know? And so that was the closest I've come where I got kind of lucky that it was hardware software, but otherwise... You know, these companies have hundreds of recruiters working for them, right? Sure. And they, yeah, they yeah, turn yeah. over and stuff. And so, so far, I have not run into any situation where a recruiter has said, like, eh, this sounds really familiar, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. Eventually, it might happen. But I think, you know, I still got some cover. I've still got some time because I work with so few clients relative to the volume of engineers that they're hiring. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I had to ask because it's like, I mean, just reading your site and hearing the stories and, you know, of the testimonials that are on your site, I mean, it's not like somebody went for a $150,000 job and then got 155000 Right. I mean, it's like significant percentage points higher. And so like whatever that process was in the exchange of the employee versus employer, so to speak, obviously there has to be something that would have stuck out in the mind of the hiring person. Right. right. So- yeah, I think eventually it will happen. You know, the thing that actually I think is this has surprised me more is I give away a lot of free stuff on my site that are, you know, not necessarily going to the people who download the free things are not necessarily going to be my coaching clients. Right. But it's a mm -hmm. way for me to just get my, you know, to build my brand, but also just to help people sure. and say, here's a free thing. And the most popular thing that I'm going to say tens of thousands of people have downloaded this as an email template to send a counteroffer to a company. And so, you know, there are thousands of companies have gotten, there are thousands of recruiters have gotten this email and some, it's just a template and you change out the stuff for a year and you send it. And I've been waiting for somebody to say, Hey, I recognize this template. You know, like my, I was, I sent this email to the recruiter and they immediately replied back that it looked really familiar, you know? So that would be the bigger risk is because so many thousands of people have downloaded that template and used it. Like I'm surprised mm -hmm. that I haven't heard anything from anybody yet. And people use it. I mean, I get emails all the time like, hey, I used your template, got another 5,000 bucks, you know. So that's the, the bigger risk, I think. Mm. And I'm, I'm secretly sort of nervous that it's going to happen, but also kind of really <laughs> looking forward to it, you know. Yeah, yeah. That'll, that'll be a big uh, calendar moment. Like, I, hey. It will be. I'll, I'll definitely be jumping into a bunch of Slack channels and saying, hey, you know, screenshot um, <laughs> when it happens. It'll happen eventually, I hope. Yeah. And, and especially with being able to like search just even like, hey, they'll I mean, I've done that myself when I've read something online. I'll be like, wait a second, I've seen that before. And I'll just put in the sentence in Google or my email or something. And then boom, boom. And I'm like, hey, wait, I've been through this sales pitch before. Yeah, I heard that. That's, I knew that sounded familiar. Yeah, exactly. The, the last thing I'll say on that, well, unless you want to talk about it more, but the, the really interesting thing about it is I've thought about this a lot and I was kind of nervous about what the fallout might be if somehow word got out that there was this, this template or this process people were using to negotiate. And what I realized is that once somebody has decided they're going to negotiate, it's actually in the best interest of the recruiters that the person who is negotiating on the employee side actually knows what they're doing. Because sometimes I will work with clients and they'll say, well, here's my plan or here's what I did with the last company. And I'll hear it and I'll go, oof, like that, did that work? You know, like what happened when you did that? And they do things that make it really hard for the recruiter because just of the dynamics of a salary negotiation, it's a unique situation. Whereas if they follow my process, then the recruiter can kind of almost let their guard down a little bit and say, oh, okay, okay, okay. I know what this playbook looks like now. And so even if they know 
that they're working with my book or my strategy or even with me directly, I think on their side, it's actually a little bit easier for them because the person has decided they're going to negotiate or they wouldn't be talking to me or they wouldn't be using my book. And mm-hmm. so at least if they use my strategy, they're doing things that are like normal and in the bounds of like a normal salary negotiation as opposed to doing trying for crazy stuff. Or for example, one thing that people like to do a lot is what I call the kitchen sink strategy, which is they're going to go back you know, they offered base salary and equity and vacation time and flexible work schedule. And they're going to go back and they're going to counter offer on all of those dimensions. So they're going to ask for more base salary and more equity and a signing bonus. And that's not the optimal way to negotiate a salary. And so if, if you do that, now the recruiter is in kind of a bind because they have so many balls in the air that they're trying to juggle when they're negotiating with you. And so it's in everybody's best interest if you narrow the scope of the negotiation and are very tactical about what you're asking for. So mm-hmm. while I was nervous a little bit that that would happen, I think in the end that the recruiter would probably be a little bit relieved that, well, at least this person, if they're going to negotiate with me, they'll do it in a way that makes logical sense that I can follow. And we can both kind of talk the same language and work through the same process here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes perfect sense. I want to go back to when you decided to write the book. That seemed to be, at least in your origin story, as you said, that seemed to be the first point at which you first encountered the idea of niching down, right? Like you had this career management topic that you were going to write this book for. And then somebody suggested that you just, hey, just work on this part. Just do this part. Why did that make sense to you? Yeah. I mean, it is really crucial. To be honest with you, I can show you because we're on video. Hold on a minute. I'm going to show you something. So for the listeners out there, sorry about the sorry about the racket. But what I just did was I reached on my bookshelf behind me and I'm showing Jason now on the camera a note card, which he's not going to be able to read because I think it will be reverse imaged. But this is the note card that has the notes on it that I took when oh, I talked yeah. to Josh Kaufman at Microconf, right? This is my entire launch strategy. It's on a single three by five note card that's it's branded <laughs> Josh Kaufman, by the way, because he carries around with it. <laughs> so that's how important it was, was I keep it literally within reach at all times because I want to look at it. And I, I like to see it there and remind me that that was a tremendous pivotal moment in the history of my business such that I think if I didn't have that conversation with Josh Kaufman, he had not talked me into writing a salary negotiation book, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. I'm almost positive I would not have built the business that I've built. So so that's the that's me kind of framing what I'm going to say here, which is I had started writing a career management guide. It was actually kind of like the second version of it. The first version was more like a memoir of just like my own career choices which I think is nice to me as sort of a historical document, but probably not interesting to anyone else. And so I had kind of started on a book that I had at the time I called Take Control of Your Career and was going to be a quote unquote career management guide. And I was going to say, well, let me take what I've learned and write about it so other people can benefit from it because friends and family frequently ask me about these things. And when I tell them what I think on things, they seem to resonate with folks and they use those tactics or ideas usually for better career advancement. And so that was the idea. And it was going to cover the first chapter actually was on how to write better business email and I actually spun that out into a book later. I completely cut it from fearless salary negotiation. But, you know, so that gives you a sense of the, the breadth of what I was trying to write, which is like how to write good emails, how to be a good participant in a conference call, how to be a good participant in um, a meeting around a conference table, you know, how to think about career advancement, how to look for jobs. And so it was all of this stuff. And so basically it was going to be kind of a, a really boring textbook on career management. And so that's what Josh, I think, understood right away because he's a successful author. He, he wrote The Personal MBA, which is a smash hit home run book. And so he had was so far down the publishing road that he could hear me describing this book. And when I described it, including things like, yeah, and how to get raises and how to negotiate job offers. And he said, whoa, you don't need to publish this whole career management guide. Like, that's just too much stuff. 
you need to pick one or two topics. And I think the most valuable topics are the ones that are obviously like a straight line from somebody's wallet to the material that they're getting, which is you're teaching them how to make more money. And that is going to be something that they will value. And so that's where, I mean, on this card I have, I mean, it's wild. It says the first thing, title, Fearless Salary Negotiation. That's what I call my book. Remember, I hadn't even thought about writing a book on salary negotiation before I talked to Josh. This is one conversation. It says get.com, subtitle, get paid what you're worth, which is basically what I went with. A step-by-step guide to get paid what you're worth is what it says, right? 150 (laughs) pages, pretty pretty much dead on. Amazon, check mark. So you wanted me to launch on Amazon and not just on my site, right? So I even wrote down the the Amazon categories that I was going to publish in here. So that was, I mean, a huge, that was a $100,000 conversation for me. And so when I talked to him, what I realized in kind of bouncing ideas off of him, Tim Grawl was there too. I don't know if you know Tim, but Mm -hmm. Tim, so so we had a lot of, (laughs) I got really lucky with this conversation. I'm just at dinner with Tim Grawl and Josh Kaufman talking about publishing my book, self-publishing. And so Josh said, yeah, you need to focus on salary negotiation. That's going to be easy to market. If you have a good title, it's catchy. If you have a good cover, by the way, Josh recommended a cover designer that did my cover, did a great job, Pete. Then I think you can actually sell this book and build a business around it because it will be about a topic that people can literally do the ROI calculation on kind of on the fly. Right. And so the conversation that you and I have had, my book is on Amazon. It's 50 bucks. That's a lot of money for a paperback on Amazon. But it doesn't take very long of thinking about it to say, well, how do I get a return on my $50 investment for this book? If I'm negotiating a salary, if I get 1% more on my salary because of this book, that's worth far more than $50. No, almost no matter who I am. Right. It's going to be worth hundreds of dollars, at least, even if you're in a very low paying job, all the way up to possibly, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so that was the easy, you know, straight line that I drew to it. And so once I realized that, then I also realized that I was a lot more excited about salary negotiation and kind of the the directly adjacent topics like how to interview well. I mean, I think it's very important to interview well and, and move that process along so you can get good job offers how to get raises. And so I also realized I was pretty excited about that topic. And so mm. that was, I think that was April of 2015. I'd already been writing my book for about three months. I kicked out probably a half of the material that I'd written. And I went back and just narrowed it down and went full bore on salary negotiation stuff to finish my book out. And it took me another like three months to finish the manuscript. So that the main reason was this topic is directly valuable to people and it will be easy to market to them because they can clearly see the ROI. As opposed to on a career management guide, it might be years before you get any ROI on that if you even open the book, right? And so that was just, I mean, really wise counsel by Josh to focus on salary negotiation. And like I said, I mean, that's why here right now is that I wrote that book instead of take control of your career. Yeah, I think that's the key when you start looking at specializing or niching down or whatever you want to call it, building your business really is, is that you have to figure out, you have to think about it from the perspective of who you're helping and what their benefit is of your thing, whether it's a book, whether it's a service, whether it's a product, whatever that thing is. And if you don't, then you're not solving a problem for a single person. And then there's no, you're trying to solve many problems for many people. And that's not necessarily the best route. Yep. So salary negotiation and career management and career counseling, that's a market that's been there. I mean, it's locked in there. How kind of crack that market and, and reach the people that you have worked with, not just not just from the perspective of, you know, the book and free downloads and things like that, but also coaching. And how'd you kind of fill the gap there? Yeah, it's really interesting because career management, I mean, you could fill the state of Texas with paperbacks on career management, right? I mean, there are, it's a huge market. And so it's also the kind of thing that there is a home run to be hit there, right? Like if you write a career management or like a business book, quote unquote, that hits like the New York Times bestseller list, 
Like, I mean, I don't know if Josh's personal MBA book was New York Times bestseller, but that book does very well. Right. And it's a broad it's 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 a broad business book. The problem is that for his book, there are you know tens of thousands of books that have sold 20 copies. Right. So the advantage that I actually had and this was a little bit of luck and a little bit of just the guidance of Josh. But we, we kind of found this when we were looking at those categories that I have on this note card here in Amazon, which is when you get down into niche areas of career management and stuff, it's a lot less crowded. So. You know, if you search for salary negotiation on Amazon, my book is right there, right? And it's been like that since I launched. And there are a few other books, but you can look at them and see that a lot of times they come up in the salary negotiation results, but they're not even actually salary negotiation books. They're like sort of related to negotiating salary or career management. And they're just kind of in the same categories. And so it turns out that there's not a lot of really good literature on salary negotiation. And part of the story where I'll, I'll take credit instead of giving it to Josh is that the method that I built and that I wrote about in my book is very good. And I mean, I mean that in the sense that I will still go back and I mean, you can see behind me, I have copies of my book on that shelf. I'll just grab it sometimes and flip through it and just kind of look at it, expecting to feel like it's stale or it's not useful. And I go, no, this is, this is pretty much, this is it, you know, and it, I published it almost three years ago. And so the combination of there's not a lot of competition in the quote unquote salary negotiation literature space. And the fact that I way over-engineered the book. Like I didn't just toss a book out there. I spent nine months writing it and consulting with colleagues. And remember, I worked in the space. And so the method that I built was specifically designed to say, if somebody uses this, how do I write a method that anyone can buy this book and they can use that method? It will work for them, and which is kind of the anti-niche strategy, right? Like I went, I, went, mm-hmm. I wanted to cast as wide a net as possible. I'm not sure I would do that today if I, if I wrote the book. But I think that is what allowed me to stand out is that, I mean, I think my worst review on Amazon is something like a lot of repetition in this book, which this is my parenthetical, is they're talking about I put summaries at the end of the chapters because I want it to be easy to reference on the fly. So you just pick it up and read the summary. And so they feel like that was repetitive, which is fine. Super short, not a whole lot of information, but some really valuable nuggets, two stars, right? And I'm like, (laughs) if one of those valuable nuggets is worth more than 50 bucks, you got a positive ROI on your book. You know what I mean? Um, And so I actually have that. That's in like one of the emails that I send to folks when I'm telling about my book on my mailing list is like, this is the worst review that I got, you know, some really great nuggets, two stars. And so uh, it's a combination of I picked, I niched into salary negotiation, which is not super competitive. To this day, there is not a lot of competition there. I don't expect that there will be because it's, it's hard to build a business around it. And most of the people who have the expertise that they would need to write a salary negotiation book are not writing books. They're VPs of HR. Um, right. They're, you know, comp managers for big companies, you know, whatever. I just chose to do this because I wanted to build a lifestyle business and I like what I've built. So that's the answer to your question is it's actually not that competitive in salary negotiation. I wrote a really good book that stands up. It's just as good now as it was three years ago when I published it. And it's it stood the test of time. And then around it, I built a content marketing engine that drives a lot of visitors and traffic to it. So people are aware of the brand and it's easy to find on Google and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you come from the book is based out of the experience that you had. Yeah. I mean, you were on the other side of it, consulting and and telling people how to use that piece of software, which is your book is reverse engineering that of sorts, I'm sure. So, um, yeah. So you mentioned that a lot of your, I mean, your content marketing is great. I've asked you for advice as well, but could you just talk a little bit about that because I feel like a lot of people, especially freelancers that are developers or designers, they're not writers in any sort of sense. And they feel almost intimidated or they get down rabbit holes and like, hey, I got to use all these tools and researches. And how did you figure out what sort of content to push out there? 
Yeah, it's a good question. And I think the answer is the folks who are listening and they're they're thinking, I'm not a writer. I don't like to write stuff. I think they're going to like it, which is, first of all, the stuff that you write about is the stuff that people ask you about. I think that's a really good rule of thumb. So if there's something that you mention and, and people perk up and they say, oh, that's interesting. Can you do you have a link or something I can read on that? Or can you tell me more? Then you should take note that that's something that got their attention. Because most of the time when we talk about the stuff that we're going to write about, people will not pay attention. That's just kind of how it goes. It's interesting to me. That's why I wrote about it. I tell you about it and you go, eh, you know, no thanks. But if I tell you about it and you say, oh, uh, can you send me a link to that? Then I'm on to something. Right. And so a really great example of that is this is no longer true. But for a long time, the most popular page on my site was an email template to send your counteroffer. That's what I was talking about earlier. And that happened because I was on a podcast just like this. I mentioned the template. This is a couple of years ago. And the uh, podcast host, I don't remember what podcast it was, said, oh, uh, that's cool. Can you maybe send me a link after the show and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes so people can go check it out? <laughs> and the answer was, I said, yes, I will do that right away. And then I hung up the call and I immediately went and created that page so I could link to it because it didn't exist. It was in my book, but it wasn't on my site yet. And so that was one of the first pieces of content that I put on the site. And all it was, was the email template that's in my book in chapter four. I copy pasted that into an HTML thing on my Jekyll site and I put it up into a little, you know, 10 minutes of formatting in CSS and I sent them a link. And Google also found out about it just by crawling my site and started all of a sudden I noticed that like, you know, a couple weeks later, start getting some traffic to that. And it's not just podcast traffic, it's Google traffic and other traffic. And it sounds interesting. Kept watching it and the traffic just kept going up and up. And so then I said, oh, okay. Now I have a page that Google clearly feels like there's a need for and people want it and they're clicking through to it. So let me go see what they're actually looking for when they come to this page, right? How can I make this page better? And so eventually it went from, you know, it was just an email template to start with maybe two or 300 words, probably not even that of copy around it about like when to use the template. And now mm -hmm. it's like five or six or 7,000 words or something like that, because I just kept thinking about what people might be looking for that would lead them to that topic. And I kept adding to it over time. So over a couple of years, I built it out into a really long post that is about how to write that counteroffer email template. It also happens to be um, the top of the funnel for my best-selling product, which is a set of email templates that include that one plus a video on how to use it. But it was all, I started with somebody said, hey, oh, that's interesting. Can you send me a link? And I said, oh, th that must be important. I will do that. And I put it out there and then Google started sending traffic. And then I would go in Google Search Console and say, well, what are people searching for when they actually come to that page? And I would find some things that weren't quite on the page. And I was like, oh, well, I should make sure it's there. And then, you know, I, I added other templates, for example. So for a while, I had 10 templates on that page that were different types of salary negotiation templates. They're gone now because it was just too much. And so now I sell that later on if people want it. But the point is that the answer is somebody said that was interesting. I put a page up. Google thought it was interesting. And I started going back and just iterating and looking at what Google Search Console said about that page and kept adding content to it and reformatting it and, and emphasizing stuff and adding a video and stuff like that so that it was more and more useful. And so ultimately what I try to do is I'm going to make this the most useful page I can possibly build, right? And give so much away for free that maybe people don't buy my stuff, but that's okay. And it turns out mm -hmm. that that generates a lot of traffic and interest. Yeah. That, I mean, then it's interesting because it's... The reverse of what you hear a lot of times, people are like, oh, I got to do keyword research. I got to, you know, I don't know, use these countless tools to figure out what that keyword is and how much traffic is generated by that keyword and what my competitors are doing and all this. And you had none of that. It was a conversation that you had with somebody and their ears perked up when you said something. So you put it online and shared the link. Then you reacted to how people received that. Yes. Right? And I think that's that's an important piece to the puzzle here is that a lot of times, well, <laughs> one, you literally just did the same thing that you did before is that you 
niche down that page to what the person wanted from that page, yeah. right? Like you catered to their needs, their benefits and all that. And you just, all with free tools, by the way, Google Analytics, Google Search Console, yep. like there was no monthly fee or anything like that. It was just, hey, here's the URL. I'm going to throw this in Search Console and see what the results are. But for two, the other side of that is, is that a lot of times all you have to do is look in your inbox for what your leads and clients are asking you for. And that's a ton of content ideas for you. And the ones that are repetitive, those are the ones you start with, right? Like yep. I tell that a lot to other freelancers is that I guarantee you, if I went to your inbox, I could find 20 pieces of content, whether it's podcasts, articles, videos, whatever you want, just from your inbox, from the list of your clients. And then if your clients are asking it, other people are asking for it. Yep. So it, it's, it's interesting. So you had the book that you admitted that you wanted it to serve just about anybody who read it. What was the thought process to further niche down your business to just software developers? Yeah, that just came over time. So one thing that you'll notice too is, is that I took a lot of outside counsel, but there's also a lot of trial and error. You know, I still am, am focusing on, for example, SEO, and I have a lot of articles that get like almost no traffic. But every now and then you get a home run and that's all you need, right? And so the same thing happened with coaching where I was, like I said, I mentioned, I think my first client was a copywriter and then a marketing person for, or an admin for a healthcare company or something like that. And so I, I was just kind of taking all comers with coaching and that's how my coaching was positioned, right? Was for that. I happen to have contacts, like for example, Patrick McKenzie, I mentioned his salary negotiation article earlier and he's a friend of mine. And so I found that through just word of mouth and stuff like that, that I also got software developers and I found that I could help them most. And so it was, again, just being responsive to what was actually happening on the ground, right? Like in, the, in exactly the same way that I put up an email template and said, Google, what are people actually searching for when they want to look for this email template? I said, mm -hmm. what are people, you know, what kind of people actually get the best results for my coaching, right? And it's, uh, you know, Philip Morgan talks about this all the time, but it's super scary to say, instead of offering coaching to everybody who has a job offer, I'm going to offer coaching to software developers who have job offers because the subset of software developers is just a tiny sliver of the whole W-2 working population for in the U.S., for example. Right. There's a lot of software developers out there, but they don't compare in any meaningful way to almost, you know, a lot of other professions like teachers or probably nurses, right? <laughs> right. There, there's a lot of people out there. But I just found that over and over, I, you know, I kind of watch my results and I'd say, especially when I get that hit after I would work with somebody and they would get $50,000 more and I'd be like, man, that felt good. And I think about it and go, another software developer. Interesting. You know, and then I, another one with you know, software developer would find me and we would work together and it looked tricky. And then they would get $40,000 and I'd say, huh, interesting. And I just <laughs> consistently got better results working for software developers than I did for other professions. Right place, right time, I think is part of it. You know, like there's a huge demand for software. There are just not enough so software developers right now. So when uh, supply is not meeting demand, that thing gets expensive. Sure. And so that there's a lot of that going on. I also think that there's an interesting dynamic with the psychology of software developers, where I think in general, software developers prefer to let their work speak for itself. And they like to kind of keep their head down and just do good work and sort of hope that the meritocracy component of capitalism will take over and compensate them. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So my job is to sort of help them facilitate that process, that meritocracy process. And uh, so I just found that, you know, I would work with lots of people, marketing managers and all that. But I just kept noticing that over and over again, when I got really good results for somebody, you know, which I was getting good results for everybody, but like exceptional results are almost always software developers. And so I said, hmm, I know there are a lot more software developers. I know they're in demand. What if I just 
hung out my shingle and said, I'm a salary negotiation coach for software developers. What would happen? Right. And uh, I mentioned Philip Morgan a couple of times, but he said to me, we were talking about this and he said, I'll tell you what, you do that. And I guarantee in the first three months after you do that, you'll have at least one client that will hire you. And they will start by saying, I know you only work with software developers, but will you work with me? And he said, if that doesn't happen to you, I'll buy you a steak dinner anywhere you want. <laughs> and it took like like a month or something. You know, it happened like immediately. Right. And I still get a lot of people who do, they, they'll fill out my application and they'll say, I'm not a software developer, but I think you can help me and I'll talk to them. And sometimes it is a good fit and I'll work with them. And so I haven't actually lost that wider net that I thought I would lose. And I'm also able to specialize and say to software developers, listen, you and I both know that this negotiation process with Google is a unique process. It doesn't look like other companies. I can help you work through that and get the best result possible. And they say, I believe mm -hmm. you because I can see that you've been doing it for two years. Right. 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 Yeah. So it was just an organic process that's very similar to my SEO strategy, very similar to my initial writing strategy for my book, which is let's see what the market wants. Let's see what they right. respond to. And the more positive hits I get from the market on something, the more I'm interested in focusing on that thing, whether it's a marketing channel or a topic for a book or a target market. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. I mean, it's it's funny how the dominoes knock over each other, right? Once you figure out that, hey, I'm reacting to the market, the market's telling me what they want. Well, I can give that to them. You embrace it, right? That's the trick is embracing that. Uh, I think right. a lot of people... Uh, I am not this way. Uh, I, uh, in a number of areas of my life, I've, I've got people that will advise me on things. And then two weeks later, they'll go back and say, all right, here's what I did. And they're like, man, are you kidding me? Whether that's like, a, you know, a physical therapist that I'm working for, for like a knee injury or something, or it's a business, you know, acquaintance that I'm talking to or whatever. I'm extremely coachable and I'm not concerned at all about discarding my priors or the things that I've already worked on. But most people aren't wired that way, right? Most people get stuck on something and they say, no, I want to write a career management book. I want to write the definitive career management textbook that everybody refers to. And unfortunately for that person, which would be past Josh, if they go down that path, they're probably not going to be able to build a business around that thing because the market just isn't interested in reading career management textbooks, right? And so you have to be flexible and you have to do what you're saying, which is listen to the market and then look for the stuff that really hits and say, okay, I need to double down on that now. That's getting me positive traction. I'm going to focus on that for a while and see where it goes. It may not actually end up in a terminus that's like a positive place. It may turn out, eh, that was luck, right? I go back in time. Maybe my first software developer gets 50,000 bucks and it's like, eh, that's just luck. I just got lucky, you know, right place, right time. Then I do it again. I do it again. I say, okay, I need to pay attention to this. This is telling me something and I need to pay attention to it and explore it at least to see what might be there. Yeah. And to your point too, it's just, just because you say that you're for software developers doesn't mean that you can't help other people. And it's just, like you said, hanging the shingle out to say, this is what I am and this is who I help. And people can identify immediately to that. This has been awesome, Josh. Before I let you go, what's next? What, what are you up to next? Well, more the same. I won't talk numbers, but it's really interesting. Like my business revenue, if we go back to 2016, it was, I think, zero. Or 2015. 2015, it was basically zero. 2016, it was like a little bit of money. 2017, it more than doubled. 2018, it's on track to more than double. And so for me, I am doing a lot of thought experiments around what does it look like if it doubles again in 2019, right? And I'm trying to actually, this time, instead of before, I was just kind of in survival mode. And this year, I was like, I'm just going to try and grow this business to something that's a real living and maybe replace my actual day job income that I left three years ago. But now I'm doing the reverse engineering thought experiment of like, okay, if a year from now, I'm on track to double revenue again in 2019, what does my business look like? How did I do that? And so that's what I'm trying to do right now, which is, you know, I 
I've kind of described both parts of my business. One of them is coaching. The way to increase revenue there is to get more clients, but also to find more clients where I can add more value, which means that I can charge more. And so that's, you know, I consistently am trying to raise my prices and experimenting with higher prices and trying to see what kind of client that draws, how much the results are for them. And then on the product side is is SEO, marketing. You and I have talked a lot about SEO, but I've gotten pretty good at top of funnel to where I get a lot of traffic. And now I need to understand better how to convert visitors who are interested in what I have to say into customers of mine longer term. And so those are really, that's what I'm thinking about. But it all is from the foundation of, you know, let's in December of 2019, I'm looking back and I say, yes, I doubled revenue again year over year from 2018. How did I do that? What does that business look like at the end of 2019? And trying to build that business. So it's really less about building the kernel or the infrastructure under the business. It's less about building the content or the material, the expertise. It's more about actually business optimization and how do I take my business business from where it is here to 2x that in 2019. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'd be interested to hear that story yeah. too. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll have that story to tell. You know, right now, <laughs> you know, I look at it and it's, it's daunting, you know, but it's also a lot of fun for me. I love to engineer and to optimize stuff. And like I said, I like to experiment. So it's fun. To, it's, it's a fun for freelancers out there, right? For the folks that are in your audience in general, I think it's a really good thought experiment to do that, to say, what would my business look like if it had double the revenue next year? And it's usually, I, for me, anytime I think about that, for my business or somebody else's business, I'm usually surprised by kind of what pops into my head. Because it's, it's not typically do twice as much of what you're already doing, right? It, right? it involves a different type of business or a different direction or a different focus or a new line of business or something like that. And I think it can take you some interesting places and give you some good ideas to, to just run that thought experiment. Which is simple. What is it? What does my business look like if I double revenue year over year? That's it. That's that's all there is to it. You just think about that. So yep. Yep. yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. So where can folks reach out and say thanks? I'm most active uh, like on social media. I'm kind of publicly on Twitter at Josh Duty on Twitter. And so if, if you just want to reach out and ping me on Twitter, that'd be great. Let us know that you listen to this pod, and you can find you know all my work. And if you want to see you know my site and how I built my business, that's all at fearlesssalarynegotiation.com, and uh, pretty pretty easy to. Find. Find. And um, you can see kind of how I'm doing what I'm doing. Slash coach is the URL where I talk about my coaching. That's kind of what you and I talked about a lot, um, which is you'll see as targeted specifically for software developers. So, but Twitter is the easiest way if you just want to reach out and say, hey, at Josh Duty on Twitter. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll put all of the links, everything that we talked about. Philip Morgan will also put a link into his website too at the, in the show notes. So yep. definitely go to the, the website and check that out. Thanks again, Josh, for coming, sharing your wisdom niching down. It's obviously an iterative process and, and it's great to see it being a success for you. Until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. Oh, the amount of value bombs that Josh literally dropped all over this podcast episode was remarkable. Thank you so much, Josh. And don't forget to go follow him on Twitter and say thanks. Thank you so much for listening to today. And if you enjoyed this episode, then head on over to liveinthefeast.com and subscribe. Go ahead and leave Josh and I a five-star rating and review in iTunes as it will help others find this episode as well. Next week, I'll be back with Sarah Dunn. Yes, the very first two-time guest or co-host talking about overcoming the fears of specialization and how to transition your existing business into the new model. 
Until then, it's your time to live in the feast. Mm -hmm.